Back when I went to college, things were a little bit different than they are today, than what kids experience today. I, I work with a bunch of ladies who, um, at school whose children have headed off to college in the last couple of years, and, and things are so much different. Because we'll, I'll get the daily updates about what their children are doing. They've headed off to school, and they'll call mom three, four times from college, and and it wasn't like that when I headed off to college. I got in my, my parents got me in the car, packed my stuff. We headed down to South Carolina. They dropped me off and said, goodbye. See you Christmas. And I, I might have called them once a month. And it cost me if I, if I called. So I know I probably could have called them more. But, but when I was down there, First week, I get a call. And on the other end was this nice girl. And she said, Scott, how are you doing? I said, wonderful. How's things going now that you're down at school? I said, great. She said, she said you know, what you doing? I, I said, not much. Who are you? <laughs> she said, this is Scott, right? I said, yes. She said, Scott Wilson, right? I said, yes. She said, I'm your sister. I don't have a sister. And she said, well, I called the school. This is, this is Bob Jones University, right? I said, yeah. So I called the office there and they said, Scott, she said, is this some kind of prank? I said, I feel like I'm being pranked. It was that day as I was trying to work out my identity, that I found that I was living in Smith Dormitory 316. And there was another Scott Wilson with one L in his name in Smith 218. I don't know. Matt, did you live in Smith? No. What, what dormitory were you in? Ironside. Okay. All right. So, but there was another Scott Wilson. And it took me a week to figure this out, that there was another... Another person by that name. And so I had to try and convince this girl that I was Scott Wilson, but I was not her brother. And so we get to, to John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, Jesus is going to try and convince the world of just who he is. In John chapter 5, in verse 16, it says, For this reason... The Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. In verse 19, it says, Then Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, and gives life to them. Even so the Son gives life to whom He will. 
For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. They all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So here, I, the first thing I say, a reason to kill. As I said last week, when Jesus begins to perform miracles with everyone, they grow more public, they grow more powerful, and they grow more controversial. And here the controversy really begins. Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath, and as soon as these Jews find out that it's Jesus behind this miraculous healing of this lame man on the Sabbath day, they desire to kill him. Because he told the guy to pick up his bed and walk. Like I said yet last week, what, what a hip, uh, hypocritical thing to do. These people who claim to, to be religious scholars and workers, they were merely performing an act. And when, when the, the real work of God comes, they come out of the, the closet ready to kill Jesus because he had healed this man on the Sabbath day. I love Jesus' response. He says, my father has been working until now, and I have also been working. And the next thing that, that they do is they say that at that moment, they wanted to kill him even more. Because not only had he healed this guy on the Sabbath, he had made himself equal with God. And Jesus goes on to say, that his works glorify his father. In verses 19 and 20, when, when Jesus is talking about, he says, he says, this work, you, you see that I healed this man on the Sabbath. I did something good. I did something wonderful and you desire to kill me. He says, just wait and see what I'm about to do. Because Jesus answers in the respond for the second threat to kill him. is he says, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. He will show him greater works than these. That you marvel. There's, there's a concept that I'm trying to take the whole us as a church and I'm trying to drive it home. Because when I read the Gospel of John, when I read the book of 1 John, there is a concept that Jesus Christ wanted to get across and the Holy Spirit led John to say, church, here's something that you need to do. You see the, the, the life that Jesus Christ lived. If we understand things correctly... I don't. Th I think that the gospel should be seen as their own little unit, own little piece in time, a special time when God worked through Jesus Christ. But it's at the resurrection that everything changes. And Jesus Christ constantly is reminding people all through his book. You see what I'm doing here? This is great. This is wonderful. But my point, my purpose, is that when I have risen from the dead, you will 
see greater things than these. We sit here in a church. And we worship and we praise God. And the Bible says, Jesus Christ said, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to understand these works. Jesus said, you're living in a time right now where you see God at work. See Him in the flesh. But you're under the law. And He said, I'm dying on the cross to make this world a better place. And when I've risen from the dead, risen from the dead, Everything's going to change, and you're going to see greater things than these. As a matter of fact, this is something that in John chapter 1, Jesus said in verse 50. We read that verse a while ago as he's talking to his first five disciples. He has a conversation with one of them, Nathaniel by name, and he says, Because you said to me, because you believed when I said, I saw you under the fig tree, I tell you, you will see greater things than these. Now as Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath day. And these guys are ready to kill him because he healed them on the Sabbath day. And because he claimed to be God. Jesus says, this is what you're all worked up about. I'm doing the work of the Father. And if you stick around long enough, you will see greater things than these. And I tell you, if you are sitting here in the pew... And you aren't, aren't experiencing the greater works than God. Cry out to the Lord. Beg Him. Plead Him. With Him. Surrender your life to Him. And you will see that every blessing that God pours out to you. His mercies. Our, our verse this week from Lamentations chapter 3. And now you got to understand, Jeremiah as he was speaking... He was speaking under the law. When he says, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We love that. But that was written by somebody who was living under the law. Before Christ came. Christ has given us so much more. And we are so blessed because of what Christ did. And so we can say hallelujah so much more because of what God has done for us. The power of prayer, the, the reading of the Word of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the body of the church. And every blessing that we get is, more, is greater than this, anything this world has to offer. True Christians, if you are a true Christian here, marvel at that. You are living in the greatest time. Amen. That God could ever have, have given you. That he has blessed you in a place to be. He has allowed you to be a part of the church. To have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He's given you the free gift of eternal salvation. The hope of heaven. And that's yours today. If you would ask. As we read here. It says. The Father. Gives the, raises the dead. And gives life to them. And the Son gives life to whom He will. And so Jesus is saying, if you are worried of spiritual, eternal death, 
The answer is found in God. And the messenger by which that comes is through Jesus Christ. And these guys were so upset and ready to kill Jesus for these words that what Jesus says is, hey, I know that I'm making a big, bold statement. And there's something that I want you to realize. That if I claim to be God, and if I claim to be a person that is going to change the world, I had better be able to back up my words. And so what Jesus does is he begins to give a legal case for Christ. And I, I have the picture of a man up there by, who wrote the book that's right next to it, Lee Strobel. And this guy, Lee Strobel, I'd like to tell you his story. He was a man who was born in Illinois. He received a degree in journalism from the University of Missouri and a master's degree in law from Yale Law School. In other words, pretty smart guy. He went on to work for the Chicago Tribune as their legal expert for 14 years. And one day, Strobel, who was an atheist who had went to college and his professors had convinced him that there was no God and he had held to that fact. One day his wife comes home and says, Lee, I got to tell you something. Went to church. He goes, oh boy, here we go. And Lee, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And he's like, my wife found Jesus. What am I going to do? He said, I'm a smart guy. I'm going to go out and I'm going to prove her wrong. And so he went on a quest to find the proof, the evidence that his wife was wrong. And he was going to show her the truth. Do you want to know what happened? On November 8th, 1981, Lee Strobel accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He said, I can't do it anymore. I went searching for the truth. I went searching for the evidence that this Jesus Christ thing was a lie. There was no person named Jesus Christ, and if he was, he was a liar. And he found the exact opposite to be true. And the evidence stacked up and stacked up and stacked up until he could no longer deny Jesus Christ was God. He accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. He began teaching and promoting that, writing books and getting the news out there that Jesus Christ is God. And his, his book, A Case for Christ, is, is a book that um, I, I hope that many of you in this book have read and have taken the opportunity to read. If you haven't, I'll give you a copy. I don't care if I, if I need to go buy some more. I'll give you a copy. Just come up to me this morning and say, I'd like to read that Lee Strobel's book. I've got a number of his books, and the one I'd like you to read is Case for Christ. If you're, if you're questioning what that guy has to say, I'd be more than happy to give you a copy of the book. The only court that really matters is the eternal court. And when God the Father stands up and He says, I'm going to call into question everything that ever has happened in this world to determine who's guilty and who's innocent, to determine who's right and who's wrong, when God stands up and He holds court, that's the only thing that will matter. According to John, 
the writer of this gospel, that's the most important question that has ever been asked. Is the question of Jesus' identity. There are three things I'd like us to consider when we look at Jesus' identity. The first is that this is the central issue during the life of Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ is walking around performing miracles, teaching and talking, the question was, and the things that he was trying to get across, is that he was God. If anyone wants to tell you that Jesus Christ was a good person or a good religious teacher, you can do this to them. No, please don't. But you can inside. Because you want to know what? Jesus Christ spent his whole life convinced, trying to convince people that he was God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who had come to earth to change the world. Good teachers don't do that. I've always thought, we have a number of teachers, and I know I work with teachers all the time. If I, if I was a teacher... And I walked into my math class and I said, okay, guys, I'd like to tell you this new truth. I'm God. And listen to everything I say. And you need me for every part of your life. I am going to change the world. And you've got to get rid of everything in your life and follow me to the other, to, to the ends of the earth. And whatever I say in command, you do it. If I did that, they better fire me in a hurry. Or I'd better be able to back it up. I can't back it up. And if, if I ever claim that, if I ever came to this church, because you understand that in the world today, there are people that get up behind a pulpit and say those types of things. And hopefully a good church will say, excuse me, you can leave. You can walk out the door because there's only one God and he proved it. And he made sure that everyone knew who he was when he triumphed over the grave and he came back from the dead and he backed up everything he ever said. And that was Jesus Christ. Anybody else is a liar. And like it says in 1 John, they have the spirit of Antichrist. That was the central theme of Jesus' life. And it was radical, and it changed the world. Not only was the central theme of what Jesus came to do, it was the center of, it's the center of people's spiritual lives today. Carlton said in Sunday school class this morning, he said, there's only two types of churches, Pastor Scott. There are those who preach the gospel, and there are those who don't. I said, wonderful, Carlton. I've said many times, and I'm going to say it again, there are only two types of people in this world. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of their souls, and those who don't. And that's the only thing that matters. The question of Jesus' identity is what makes the difference. It is the theme of the book of John. It is the theme of the book of Revelation. If you look at the New Testament, it changed the lives of guys like Paul and Peter and, and Jesus' brothers. We're going to get to that next week. But as we continue in this book, we're going to look at Jesus is God and it's got to change your life. 
Jesus is God, it's got to change your life. Jesus is God, and it's changed my life. Jesus is God, and it's changed many of your lives. And if Jesus hasn't changed your life, that's the only question that I'd ask you to consider as you're here in church today. If there's nothing else that I've gotten across, it's I want you to think, think about this. You have to come to grips with the question that Jesus Christ is God. It is the theme of this book that you have in front of you. We heard this this morning as you read through the Old Testament. Books like Isaiah, I heard this morning. It just pours off the pages. Jesus is God. Some of you guys are trying to read through the Bible this year because I've given you the challenge. And some of you, in reading through the Bible, you've gotten to the book of Leviticus. Well, some of, some of you guys are laughing like that's where you're reading this morning. Leviticus has a purpose. And I know sometimes it seems like it's so removed from what we do today. I wasn't sacrificing a lamb here this morning. The reason being is because Jesus Christ came and proved that he was the fulfillment of the law. He was the sacrifice that completed it all. So as you read through the book of Leviticus, think about seeing Christ in Leviticus. As you you turn those pages and you read about what they had to go through to make sure that they were clean, know that today you are clean because Christ has saved you from your sins. As you read about purity, remember that Christ lived a pure life. Spotlessly. As you read about sacrifice, know that Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. And in the end, the truth is that we read in this passage of Scripture, it says in John chapter 5, in verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all things to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you. Excuse me, I just. Lost my mindset. Most surely I say to you, he who hears my, most surely I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will 
of the Father who sent me. One of the things I see is that the Lord is the righteous judge. And he is the one that is going to be, be over in the authority of where you will spend eternity. You must be ready for court. Some people today, well, if we were to hear that we are going to go to court this week, we'd be awful nervous. Some people bring up a lot of anxiety and, and they go, i got to go to court. And, I gotta, and you'd be giving me a call and you say, Pastor Scott, help me. I, I don't know what to do. And pray for me. And it's okay. Calm down. Let's go before the Lord. Let's take this. But that's an earthly court. And it's important. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be ready for to stand before an earthly judge. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't be properly prepared for something like that. But the most important court that you've got to be ready for could be only maybe a moment away. When you leave this world, and the thing that you need to be ready for is to stand before the Lord, the righteous judge. How are you ready for that? What are some of the documents that you would need to be prepared to stand before the Lord, the righteous judge? The first and foremost is that you need to be saved. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 spells this out in, in how we ought to be ready for court. How we ought to come before the Lord. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, it says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. In the book of John, where we're reading right now, Jesus says, I have the power to give you eternal life. And I can give you that today. He is the person who holds where you will spend eternity. Have you believed in him for your eternal salvation? When I were, If I were to go to court today, I'd want to make sure that I were dressed properly. That I were ready to stand before God. And I want to make sure that I had new life in Christ. The spiritually dead hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They respond and they believe and they are given new life in Christ. So that when they stand before him, they stand as one who has been set free. In Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 11, it says... That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scriptures say, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them, who, of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You want new life in Christ. You need to believe in him as your personal savior. And you can be ready to stand before the, the Lord, the righteous one. There's another verse that I have up here, another passage of scripture. And it talks about regeneration. Being passed from death to life. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Colossians chapter 1. In verse 13, says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. If I were to, to read this passage of Scripture, Find that on my own, I'm not qualified to stand before God Almighty. I'm not ready, if I were to be held in that court today. But because I've believed in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I look at verses, passages of Scripture, like John chapter 5, where he claims to be God. And he says, I am the key to eternal life in Christ. The Bible says I'm given new life in Christ because I believe in him. But then he begins the process of changing me. We talk about words and you'll hear words in, in that Christians use like sanctification. Taking someone who is spiritually dead, does not have life in Christ, and changing them into a person who does right, who lives for the Lord, whose life has been changed by the power of Christ. This morning I talked about that in Sunday school, and it, it's from here that I get that. Conveyed. And I said, if we're going to get from here to heaven, we can't do it on our own. It's not in us. But once we believe in Jesus Christ, he, he sets in the process of conforming us to the image of His Son. It's like He takes us and puts us on, uh, it says right there, He has conveyed us from the, king, from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. It's like he takes and he puts us on a conveyor belt. Inclined to heaven. And if you're not the same person you were when you first accepted Jesus Christ. And you see God changing you from the inside out. You look at things different. You say things different. What's in your mind is different. That's God working in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's like he takes you when you've accepted him. And he begins to put you on that conveyor belt. 
you start heading to become more like Christ, and you're on your journey home. And I get this picture. That conveyor belt, it's thin. Straight and narrow. And few there are that God's going to take and he's going to put on there. But boy, the process is amazing. So when we get to heaven and we stand before God, the righteous judge, he says, this person's believed in Jesus Christ. Enter into the joy of my rest. There's a verse in this passage of Scripture. In John chapter 5. In verse 28. 28 and 29. That I'd like you to chew on this week. Because I've chewed on it for a long time. And I'd just like you to think about these verses this week. And next week I'd like you to come back as you hear an answer that I have to these verses. In 28 and 29 it says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which you, who, which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. It sounds like it contradicts a lot of things that we talk about in church. Next week, I'd like to talk to you about that. I'd just like you to think about and I'd like you to ponder this as we close this morning. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord, the righteous judge. And the thing that's most important is if you heard the message of Jesus Christ, where he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Think about the verses that we've talked about. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The Lord has has said that he is God Almighty. Jesus Christ is God come in flesh. Do you believe that? Let's pray this morning. Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you that you came to this earth and you said that you were God. And you set out to prove it. Lord, as we get ready for the day, we'll stand before the Lord, the righteous judge. Help us to be ready. Help us to be prepared to stand before you, cleaned, perfected, knowing that you are our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.